This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Very little time for me to chat tonight since we're facing two lengthy shows. So let's begin by hearing another tale in the life on the streets of Los Angeles as seen through the eyes of Sergeant Joe Friday. This program is entitled 16 Jewel Thieves. Here is another in NBC's great parade of new shows. Ladies and gentlemen... The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to burglary detail. A sudden wave of jewel thefts is sweeping the city. In 16 days, 16 burglaries have been committed, one each night. They bear the same trademark. Thousands of dollars of jewels are missing. The thief is a master at his trade. Your job, get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, June 17th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way into work that morning, and it was 7.53 a.m. when I got to room 45. Burglary detail. Hi, Joe. How are you, Walker? Gonna be a scorcher out today. Yeah, just like yesterday. Ben in yet? I think he's over in communications picking up the mail. Thanks. You guys been busy? Yeah, kind of. Jewel thefts. Anything big? No, no big hauls, but he's consistent. 16 nights in a row. Hmm. Same guy? think so. Same M.O. Yeah, everybody's got troubles. Gotta check some records. See you later, Joe. Okay, Willie. Burglary, Friday. Yeah. Okay, Mike, soon as Ben gets back. He's picking up the mail. Right, bye. Hi, Joe. Hi, Ben. Hannon just called. Chief wants to see us. Take a look at these first. What do you got, overnight reports? Yeah, I have these two. Mm. Yeah. Two of them. Three diamond rings, one sapphire, one necklace, jade. Big haul. Look at the other one. Ladies, watch, diamond band, emerald bracelet, tourmaline brooch. What's tourmaline, Ben? I don't know. It must be valuable. It's gone. Mm-hmm. 
Let's see. Owner left house about 9 p.m., returned about 1.30 a.m., found property gone, scratches on the door. Probably using the cellophane method. Hasn't missed yet. Two in one night. Well, he's picking up his pace. Must have a bag full of loot somewhere, whoever it is. You get the description sheet from pawn shop detail? Yeah, I got them right here. You take half of them. Let's see what luck we got this morning. Yeah, huh? Mm. Nothing so far. Mm-mm. Me neither. I get it, Joe. Burglar Romero. Hi, Ben. Chief still wants to talk to you, boys. He's got an appointment at 8.30. Wants to see you before he leaves. Okay, Mike. Just checking some buy sheets. Be right in. Better make it fast. He's in a bad mood this morning. Okay, Mike. Thank you. Back strand again? Yeah, he's in a bad mood. Come on. Wonder what's bothering him. Something's bad. He doesn't blow very often. Chief of Detectives Office, Hannon. Go ahead in, boys. He's waiting. Thank you, Mike. All right, ma'am. I'll connect you. Friday, Romero, sit down. Wait till I get the phone. Backstrand. Oh, yes, Mrs. Winthrop. Yes, ma'am. We're doing all we can. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, ma'am. Goodbye. Got trouble, Ed? Taxpayer, Mrs. Winthrop. You two ought to remember the name. We do, Skip. Ten days ago, somebody lifted $2,000 worth of diamonds from her bedroom while she was at the symphony. Last night, she was hit again. Diamond watch, an emerald bracelet, and some kind of a brooch. Tourmaline. I don't care what kind it was, it's gone. What's the pitch? We just read a report a couple of minutes ago, Skipper. Could be a tie-in with those other 16 jobs. 16 jobs in 16 days. You haven't got a lead on the thief yet? Nothing shows up. No prints, nothing. Uh, what about the pawn shops? Nobody's tried to soak any hot stuff as far as we know. We double-checked the detail. We got every hawk shop in town on the alert. Whoever it is, they've got to try to pawn the stuff sometime. Unless they're going to give diamond rings for Christmas presents. And they haven't tried the pawn shops yet, Skipper. We sure then. Look, 16 burglaries in 16 days. Jewels and watches. Good ones. Well, it's got to stop. It's got to stop soon, you understand? We'll stay right on top of it, Ed. We're doing all we can. For two weeks, I've had half a dozen women calling me every day. Society women. Some of them figure they should get extra treatment. They're only DR numbers to us, Skipper. They all get the same attention. I'll try and explain that to some of them. They think you're in on the racket. Maybe you boys would like to take these calls some morning. No, thanks, Ed. All right, then let's get some action. Keep the pawn shop operators on their toes and get after every known fence in town. That's all. I've got an appointment. All right, Ed. Check you later. Holding a call for you, Ben. Oh, thank you. Hello. Oh, hi, Max. What? What? Hold it. Be right down. First break, Joe. What do you got? Necklace and a watch. Both of them on the stolen property list. Where? Henry's Pawn Shop, 5th and Main. Six minutes later at 8.25 a.m., Ben and I drove up in front of Henry's Square Deal Pawn Shop. Quick cash, no red tape, watches bought and sold. The proprietor was Max Murphy, an old friend of Ben's. Well, pal, of all days, it had to happen yesterday. Took the day off and went fishing up at Big Bear. I left my nephew in charge, Harry, a real knothead, that kid. How do you mean, Max? Joe, if I told him once, I told him a hundred and once. Whatever you do, whatever they come in with the hawk, check it with the list. Check it with the stolen property list. What does he do? He forgot. He forgot. Oh, a real knothead, that boy. How old is he, Max? Thirty-two. A real knothead. I checked the slips from yesterday. Then I checked the stolen property list. There it is. Hot stuff. When does stuff come in, Max, do you know? About four o'clock yesterday afternoon. Can we look at it? Oh, sure. Uh, back here behind the car. There it is. Did you check out the serial numbers on the watch yet, Mac? When I found out, yes. They match to a T. All right, let's see. Yeah. Description on this necklace matches, too. Let's have a look at your buy book, huh, Max? Yes, sir, Joe. 
Here you are. There's a deal right there. Here? Yeah, that's him. That's how he gave his name. Mm. Walter Tracy, 132 and a half Blackstone Court, Los Angeles. Let me check the book for the description, man. Oh, sure. Yeah, here. Mm-hmm. Okay, Max, thanks. We'll be checking with you later. Sure, Joe. Anytime. Sorry. All right, Max. See you later. Uh, you fellas take it easy. Right. Want to check and see if we're clear, Joe? Yeah, I will. 80K to control one. 80K to control one. Are we clear? Control one to 80K. Stand by. Good lead, Joe. Got a description in here. Yeah. It's too bad Max's nephew had to slip up. Control one to 80K. Call your office immediately. Call your office immediately. Okay, Major. Wonder what that's about. No, no, I'll call in. You got some change? I'll use Max's phone. Use your phone a minute, Max. Oh, you bet. Sure, help yourself. Thank you. City Hall. 2524. 2524. Burglary, Levine. This is Ben, George. You got something? Hot one. Universal loan shop, 6th and Barton Place. Guy just took in a couple of rings. He checked too late. What you mean? He checked the form after the guy left. It was signed Walter Tracy. There they are, Sergeant. Both rings. Fine quality diamonds. Don't you usually check your stolen goods list before you take in stuff like this? Usually, yes. Last night, no. I don't know what I was thinking about. We have a look at your buy book. Right here. There it is. Walter Tracy. 699 Olive Street. 145 pounds, 5 foot 9, dark hair, build, thin. You'll have to slap a hold on these rings. I know. I should have thought. Can you think of anything else that might help us to identify the man? No. Had a light suit on. Nice cut. Very well dressed. Thank you. That's all for now. Here's a card. If the guy happens to drop back, give us a call, will you? Sure will, Sergeant. Say. Yeah? I've got some nice watch bands. Yours look gold. Can I interest you? No, thanks. Some other time. Come on, Ben. That afternoon and the following morning, despite our alert and our warnings, two more pawn shops called in with reports of stolen watches taken in. We checked them out. The serial numbers on the watches matched those on the stolen property list. On the pawn shop account books, the loan was listed under the name Walter Tracy. The addresses were given as number 12 St. Vincent Place and 700 East Flower. The descriptions of the man were the same. Slight build, well-dressed, about 145 pounds, 5 feet 9 inches tall, dark wavy hair. We had the name and description distributed to every pawn shop in Los Angeles and surrounding communities. Through our informants, we checked up on every known fence in the city. For the next two nights, we received no reports of stolen jewels. That made up for the double burglary the night before. On June 19th, the box score read 18 successive nights, 18 successive jewel burglaries. At 3.25 in the afternoon, Ben and I sat down to check over the late incoming reports. Got anything, Joe? No, not yet, no. Mm, nothing here. Maybe the guy's left town. Nope. No such luck. Take a look. That's it, number 19. He may set a record. Oh, he's making monkeys out of us, isn't he? Look, 
Man's watch, lady's watch, Chinese amber necklace, diamond shirt studs, and a bracelet with two large rubies. He's getting ambitious. How's the value listing? I see. $1,800. One haul. I'll get it. Burglary Friday. Yeah. What? Yeah. You're right down. Stall him. Let's go, Ben. Where? Kaplan's down on East 2nd. Walter Tracy's in there now, trying to hock a gold watch. Ben, cover the door. I'll go to look like I'm shopping around. Right, but watch your step. We don't know this guy. Yeah, stay close to the door, huh? I'm sorry. That's the best we can do on the watch. Look, Mac, this is gold. 21 jewels. Well, that's the best I can do. Ah, drop dead. Well, it's the best I can do. Don't get sore. Yeah, sure. See you later. That's him, Sergeant. Wallet Tracy. I stalled him as long as I could. All right, I'll check back with you later. Did you spot the guy that just came out? Yeah, I went up the street. Let's follow him. Hustle it. You spot him, Ben? Straight ahead, about 15 yards. He's crossing the street. Yeah, let's get up a little closer. We'll lose him, sure, if the light changes. Come on, run for it. What's the traffic like? That was close. You might have spotted us. It's going faster. Come on, Joe, run. Yeah. Don't lose him. This crowd's not helping. Hey, hey, wait a minute. I bet you're a cop. You're chasing somebody. All right, let go of my arm, mister. Let go. Well, you don't have to get tough. Lousy cops think they own the street. I'm going to write the mayor's office. Come on, Joe. He's running for us. Yeah, I see him. Watch the signal up ahead. Hurry, Joe. Almost up to him. Into the parking lot. Hey, you! Stop! Look out, Joe. A gun! Yeah, I see. Uh, get away. All get right, away. smart guy. It's a nice job. Yeah. He's too fast for an honest man. Let's take him in. When we got back to headquarters, Walter Tracy was under technical arrest. We took him directly to the interrogation room. We searched him thoroughly. We had him take everything out of his pockets and put it on the table. Then we had him take all the money he had in his wallet, count it out, and hold it in his hand. What is all this routine? That's all the money you have on you? $47.17, right? Yeah. Okay, keep it in your hand. Ben, shake him down. All right, Tracy, take off your coat, shirt, tie, and your shoes and socks. What kind of a pitch is this? I'm no hood. Take them all. Two-bit cops. You're not pinning anything on me. I don't care what you do. Sleeves. Pockets lining. Nothing in the coat, Joe. Get his shirt. Take it light with the threads, huh? Costs money. How about the trousers, Ben? Let's see. Cuffs. Pockets. No. Let me get the belt. Zipper on the inside of the belt? No, it's clean. Shoes are okay. All right, Tracy. Let's see the soles of your feet. I hope you don't mind. Uh, they're dirty. Why don't you take a shower? Let's see. All right, Joe. Nothing. Put your toes back on. Yeah, thanks. All right, you. What's your name? Huh? I said, what's your name? You telling jokes? Walter Tracy. You know that. Your real name. How old are you, Tracy? 27. Where do you live? No place. Just got in town a couple of days ago. Where are you from? Salina, Kansas. Where you been sleeping the last two nights? The park, Pershing Square. Clothes don't show it. Pretty natty. I had them pressed. Where? Down by the square. I don't remember. You ever been arrested before? No. Where'd you get this gun, Tracy, the one you pulled on us? I didn't know who you were. Could have been a couple of hoods. <laughs> you kind of look like it. Where'd you get the gun? I won it in a crap game coming out on the train. Where'd you get the watch? 
graduation present. You want to run a make on him, Joe? The gun and the watch? Yeah, I'll call him. Go on, check. You can't prove a thing. Pawn shop records, Gilmore. Joe, this is Friday. Can you give me a make on a watch? Sure, Joe. Go ahead. Time master, yellow gold, man's wristwatch. Okay. Case number 716F23. Right. Movement number B351708. Got it. Okay. Now give me a make on this gun, huh? 32 S&W automatic. Serial number 579461. Okay. Call me back. Right. What's your station number? 2572. I'll ring you, Joe. Thanks. Having fun? What'd you do with all those jewels you stole? When do I get out of here? I don't think you're going to get out. You got nothing on me. How tall are you, Tracy? Get your tape measure. Five, nine. How much you weigh? 140. I'm 27. My name's Walter Tracy. I come from Salina. I've been in town two days, and I don't know what you guys are talking about. You sound smart. You don't act it. And you're flying blind, copper. What'd you do with those jewels you stole? I don't know what you're talking about. What color are your eyes? <laughs> I don't know. I'm colorblind. What color would you say your hair is? You colorblind, too? You ever been arrested before? Straighten out. He asked me that. I'm asking you. No. You ever done any big time? No. All right, I don't care if you're level with us or not. We're going to make you on those prowl jobs, all 19 of them. Sure, sure. You guys are smart. You got in Los Angeles two days ago, is that right? Yeah. You don't know anything about any jewel thefts? That's what I said. And how come your name and your handwriting's on the account books and four pawn shops in Los Angeles? It's not mine. You can't prove it. We can, Tracy. Come clean. What'd you do with the stuff you stole from 1250 Moraga Drive, June 5th? I didn't steal any stuff. What'd you do with the rings and watches you took from 1400 Placerville Road, June 9th? I wasn't in town. What'd you do with the diamond dress pins you stole June 13th, 123 South Van S? Did I do that? You're not only kinky, you're a bad liar. You prove it. Border gets you a saw buck, your prints bounce, Tracy. Our handwriting man's gone to work on those signatures of yours. You haven't got a chance. Now, come on. Where'd you hide this stuff? You can't prove a thing. Where'd you say you've been sleeping the last two nights? In the park, Pershing Square. You want a map? Clothes sure look nice. I said I had them pressed. But you can't remember where. No, I can't remember where. That a crime? Friday talking. Joe, this is Gilmore. Here's the stuff you asked for. Let's have it, Joe. No make on the watch, no make on the gun. Okay, Gil, thanks a lot. Yeah. You're in up to your neck. You said that, didn't you? You're gonna talk, Tracy. Kinda tired. All right, we'll let you sleep on it. Come on, Ben, let's book him. Right. I'll get your jobs, coppers. Sure. Come on. We took Walter Tracy to the county jail and had him booked on suspicion of burglary. He was still sullen. We knew we had the guilty man. Now we had to prove it. As it often happens, the victims never see the burglar. They only know he's been there. They can't identify him, but they can identify their property. Our job was to find the property. When we did, we'd have Walter Tracy. And the 19 victims would have their property returned. But Tracy wasn't talking. We knew he'd never talk unless he thought it might help him. We took the problem to Ed Backstrand. Smart punk, Skipper, but he's done time before. How do you know? Tried him out last night when we brought him in. He talks like it and he acts like it. But he won't cop out. Are you sure? He won't talk in a hundred years. He knows he's got us in the spot. And one thing's sure. We're not going to send him up without finding the loot first. He's planted the stuff somewhere in the city. We've got to find it. Ben and I have got an idea, Ed. Not going to be easy, but it might work. When is it? Tracy tried to soak some of the stolen property at four separate pawn shops in the downtown area. Yeah? 
At each one of those four pawn shops, he gave a local address. Now, we're sure he must have a room or an apartment someplace in town. All right. Well, that's where guesswork comes in, Skipper. Every one of those addresses he gave falls within a certain area. How big an area? Oh, uh, you've got that street diagram, Joe? Yeah. Here it is, Ed. From uh, Figueroa here, to San Pedro, and from uh, Pico down to First Street. The area's about 12 blocks wide, 14 blocks long. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of territory. How are you going to cover it? On foot. We'll take Tracy with us. Plenty of legwork. You sure it's the answer? We've got to find the stuff, and it's the only way we can figure it. Hotels, apartments, rooming houses. There must be hundreds of places he could stay in that territory. It'll take a couple of weeks. Yeah, on foot it will. All right. It's tough, but it's your idea. Go to it. An hour after we left Chief Backstrand, we got Tracy out of his cell in the county jail and started our canvas of the appointed area. We took the usual precautions and handcuffed Tracy's wrists to our own. We started the search for his hideout at First Street in Figueroa. It was a warm day in Los Angeles. The temperature was 91. After the first three hours, I could tell Ben's feet were ready to give out, and so were mine. We couldn't even have the comfort of complaining. That had encouraged Tracy, and he was cocky enough already. He cursed and You're threatened every step of the way. my legs off. All right, quit pulling, will you? Come on, Tracy, up the stairs. Another one to check. Warm day, Joe. Yeah, a little. What do you mean, a little? Must be 110. Yes? What is it? You the manager? Yes. Could you tell me which apartment this man has in your house, ma'am? Who, him? Yes, ma'am, this one. Never saw him before. He don't live here. All right, ma'am. Thank you. Yeah. Hot, ain't it? When are you going to get wise? Come on, Tracy. Well, that finishes this side of the street. You want to cross over, Joe? Yeah. Let's go. I'm hungry. I want to eat. After we cover the other side of the street. You can't do this to me. I'm going to get a lawyer. I'll have your jobs. Both of you. Yeah. Uh -huh. Come on. We only got a couple of hundred places to go. Hi, gents. What can I do for you? You the manager? I run the place, yeah. Which room does this man have in your place? Him? You made a mistake. He doesn't live here. All right, thanks. My feet are killing me. Wait till I get a lawyer. I'll burn both of you dumb cops. What do you think you're doing anyway? All that day and the day after that and the day after that, Ben and I, with Tracy handcuffed to our wrists, canvassed the designated areas from hotel to hotel, from rooming house to rooming house, and the apartments, too. Every day, our feet ached a little more, our pace slowed down, Tracy got more irritable, and the weather got hotter. The second day, it reached a high of 92. The third day, 94. The fourth day, 94. Police regulations say plainclothes officers must wear a coat and necktie on the street at all times. We wore our coats and neckties. The search continued into the fifth day. Our pace got even slower. Ben and I started to lose heart. After a while, we forgot our object was to recover the stolen jewels. All we wanted was to find Tracy's hideout. We knew we were right. We knew Tracy was our man. It was a point of pride. Whether your feet hurt or not, you don't give in to a thief. Yes? What do you want? You're the landlady here. I am. Which apartment does this man have in the building? Well, none of them. He's not one of my tenants. Thank you, ma'am. Come on, Tracy. By the sixth day, all three of us had special pads in our shoes. Our feet ached worse than ever. Tracy let us know about his every three minutes. 
By late afternoon of the sixth day, we'd covered more than half of the designated area. The temperature was 95. You guys gonna go on forever? I'm sweating like a horse. I'm getting tired of your moaning. That looks like the manager behind the desk. Yes, sir? You the manager? Yes, sir. What can I do for you? Can you tell us which room this man has in the hotel? Him? Mm-hmm. He doesn't live here. Hey, uh, you fellas look awfully warm. Like to cool off in the lobby? We're air-conditioned. No, thanks. I'm hungry. When do we eat? You're always hungry. You got the biggest mouth on a cop I ever saw. Oh, All right, yeah. I'm hungry. I want to eat. Now. Wait till I give this story to the papers. Mistreating innocent guys. They'll break you. All right. Come on. Up the stairs. I'm going to get a lawyer tonight. I'll show you. Yes? Why, Mr. Baker, where have you been? We questioned the landlady, a Miss Elizabeth Hunter... She told us that Baker, alias Tracy, had rented an apartment from her about two months before. That's all the information she could give us. Tracy clammed up. He would admit nothing. We asked Miss Hunter to accompany us as a witness. We took the elevator up to Tracy's apartment on the sixth floor. Miss Hunter, Tracy, Ben, and I. Move down this way. Here. Do you want me to open it? Please, Miss Hunter. There's a girl... Walter? What is it, Walter? I told you to get out of town if I didn't come back. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave without you. I thought you slept in the park. Uh, take a jump. Where's the stuff hidden? All right, Ben. Handcuff him to a chair. The girl behind him. We'll find the stuff ourselves. All right, Tracy. All right, you're next. I haven't done anything either. See, you can't prove it. Billy, shut up. That's better. No talking between you two. First, we'll separate you. All right, Ben, you take the living room here. I'll try the kitchen. And get a window open. It's hot in here. All right. Sergeant, you will be careful of the furniture. Yes, ma'am. I had no idea. You, Mr. Baker, of all people. Don't talk to him, please, ma'am. Oh, yes. (gasps) Tin cop. Why don't you spell? Ben, look. It's only the beginning. He's got the stuff scattered seven ways for Sunday. We're going to need help. In the milk bottle? Yeah, two rings, three loose diamonds, and this bottle of mayonnaise. We found some kind of a brooch in it. A couple of watches taped to the underside of the kitchen sink. All right, you. Convinced? Okay, Ben. Call Backstrand. There was a definite possibility that Walter Baker, alias Tracy, had stored some of his stolen loot outside his apartment. We stood little chance of ever recovering it unless we got him to break Ben called Chief Backstrand, and in ten minutes he arrived at the apartment with another man from burglary detail, George Levine. Together we went over the four-room apartment foot by foot. We found jewelry, watches, loose stones in every conceivable place. In cartons of cottage cheese, in jars of cold cream, in the garbage can, everywhere. Who's your girlfriend? All right, I'll ask her. What's your name? I said, what is your name? Billy. Billy Crawford, he didn't do anything. He didn't. All right, Billy. Maybe you can tell us. Where's the rest of the stuff he stole? He didn't steal. He didn't steal anything. Billy, shut up. Keep quiet, you. Ed, wait a minute. What? Just a minute. I want to look over here. Papers. Taped to the underside of that top drawer. What is it, Friday? No, no, you can't. You can't. Look at these. All right. You found them. I'll talk. No, Walter, don't. Parole papers. He's an ex-con. Yeah, I'll cop out. Don't do it, Walter. Billy, shut up. 
dumb dame. The rest of the stuff, where is it? On the roof. Inside the ventilator, the one near the front, you'll find a couple of paper bags. That's it. Levine? Got it, Chief. I'll check it. Your papers say you did time in Oregon. What for? Fell for robbery. Did five. I owe him seven. What about the girl? Walter, I'm going with you. Her? I don't know. You figure it. All right, Friday. Romero, take the girl to Lincoln Heights and book her. We'll take him. Right, Ed. Come on, Ben. No. No, Walter, I want to go with you. I'm sorry, ma'am. This way out. All right, easy, lady. Oh, no, wait a minute. Just a minute. Walter? You're a dumb dame, Billy. So long. Walter. All right, come on, let's go. What's the matter? You feel all right? He lied. He said he loved me. He lied to me. Don't feel hurt, lady. He lied to everybody. The story you have just heard is true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Walter Baker, alias Walter Tracy, was tried and convicted on three counts of first-degree burglary and received the maximum sentence prescribed by law. He is now serving out his term in the state penitentiary. A hold has been placed on him by the state of Oregon, where he will serve out seven years for violation of parole. Billy Crawford, Baker's accomplice, was tried and convicted of receiving stolen property and is now serving time in the state penitentiary for women. You have just heard the 11th in a new series of authentic cases transcribed from official police files. Technical advice for Dragnet is furnished by the Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Warden Clarence A. Larkin of Folsom Prison, Sacramento, who, on the evening of September 24th, 1937, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. If you enjoyed tonight's production of Dragnet, you'll want to listen this Saturday evening to a pair of adventure shows featuring two well-known Hollywood personalities. You'll enjoy Brian Donlevy, star of Dangerous Assignment. Also on Saturday's schedule is Richard Diamond, private detective, as played by the screen's romantic tough guy, Dick Powell. Listen to both of these exciting programs this Saturday over most of these same NBC stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to head to 1952 for Fibber McGee and Molly and a tale about Fibber's old straw hat. <laughs> Save what you have. Conserve. Make what you have do a little longer. That's the watchword nowadays. And the master of 79 Wistful Vista is not one to violate a national policy. So here, gazing speculatively at his last year's straw hat, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. (laughs) 
McGee, what on earth are you going to do with that straw hat? What do you suppose I'm going to do with it? I'm going to wear it. Well, now, isn't that carrying conservation to extremes? Why, <laughs> it looks terrible. Well, I'll either wear this this summer or I'll wear that checkered golf cap. Oh, no, no. No, not that, dearie, not that. Okay. So I'll wear this. What do they charge to clean a straw hat? Oh, 50 or 75 cents ordinarily. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I think they'd make a special rate of $4. <laughs> well, I can get a new one for two ninety-five. Well, that's what I was hinting at, in my delicate way. <laughs> well, I'm not going to do it. The government wants us to conserve, and by the million merry men of the mighty MacArthur, I'm going to conserve. Well, when you get through with that miracle, you might take a minute off and invent a shower curtain that won't slap you in the face when your back is turned. <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> Do that in. Now, don't worry. I can make this hat look like new. We got any art gum? Now, listen. Cleaning that thing with art gum would be like bombing Tokyo with confetti. Well, doggone it. What do you use to clean a straw hat? Well, if everybody knew that, what would the people do uh, who clean them for a living? Okay, okay. I'll find a way. I'll bet the drugstore has got a preparation that'll clean straw hats. Give me the phone. Here. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me Kramer's Drugstore on the corner of Mert. Is that you? Oh, <laughs> How's every little thing, Mert? It is, eh? What's say, Mert? Your uncle smashed his face and broke one of his hands. Oh, what's the matter, McGee? Did he drop his watch? Oh, sure. <laughs> Hello, Mert. Nah, she guessed it right off. <laughs> what's say, Mert? Okay, I'll call later. Say, look, dearie, I don't think the government would care if you threw that hat away and got another one. If you wear this one, it'll be bad for morale. Whose? Mine. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. I've made up my mind to clean this hat. And by the merry, mighty men... No, I said that. (laughs) You know what I've made... You know what I've made up my mind? (laughs) Indeed I do, precious boy. (laughs) You're about as flexible as a poker. And just as busy as turning things up. I got character. All us McGee's have got that old persistence need. We follow through. When we start something, we finish. You don't say. Yes, sir. How about that ship in the bottle you started to carve in the spring of 1928? I got my finger stuck in the neck of the bottle and had to bust it. (laughs) I couldn't go through life waving a three-masted schooner at people, could I? I don't know. It might give you a little individuality. People would say, you know Fibber McGee. He's the man with the sloop on his pinky. <laughs> well, gee whiz, a fella can't always just... Hey, we got any peroxide? I think so. What for? I bet I can clean my straw hat with that. It's a bleach, ain't it? Well, yes, I think it is. But I never heard of anybody cleaning a hat with it. Well, I'm going to try it anyway. What can I lose? Well, you can lose a hat. And I can lose a bottle of peroxide. But go ahead now. Where would the steamboat be today if Eli Whitney hadn't invented the cotton gin, is what I always say. <laughs> I'll go get you the peroxide, dearie. Where would the steamboat be today if Eli Whitney... Well, Whitney didn't invent the steamboat. What'd the cotton gin have to do with the steamboat if... Well, of course, they carried cotton in steamboats, but if Fulton hadn't... It... But Fulton didn't invent the cotton gin. That was Whitney. So if the steamboat had... Doggone it, I wish Molly had get her facts straight. I can't sit around here all day. Come in. Hi, mister. What you doing? Oh, hello, sis. I'm going to bring this Katie back to life. 
I says, I'm going to launder this lid, this straw hat. I'm going to clean it. How? Huh? Hmm? You says, how am I going to clean it? I know it. <laughs> well, that, sis, is a moot point. Oh. <laughs> What's the matter? Don't you know what a moot point is? Sure I do, I bet you. My uncle has a moot, and it's a pointer. <laughs> That's a mutt, not a moot. You better run along now, sis. In a few minutes, I'm going to be deep in the heart of skimmer scraping. Can we talk business a minute, mister? Oh, business, eh? Mm-hmm. Well, as the furnace says, when the guy walks up with a nasty look, something tells me I'm going to be shook down again. <laughs> well, let's get to it, sis. What's the racket? I don't hear anything. No. <laughs> mm, what's your angle? What business are you referring to? You mean what am I selling? Seeds. Seeds? Sure. Vegetable seeds. Sparrowgrass seeds and radishes and cabbages and, and turnips and potatoes and marshmallows and petunias. Oh, 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 wait a minute. You can't eat petunias. Yeah, we're trying to. Well, no, but petunias... And are... petunias and onions and carrots. <laughs> and cod liver oil. You can't plant cod liver oil either. You can as far as I'm concerned, mister. <laughs> I despise it. You want some seeds, huh? No, I don't believe I can. Haven't you got a victory garden, mister? Haven't you? <laughs> no, I, I've been thinking of starting one, but somehow look, I just... Look, mister, hmm? look. How can we win this war if everybody says, well, I've been thinking of doing something, but I never did it? Well, sis, you really got a point there, and I... My I'm... teacher says that every single vegetable we grow means so much more food for our soldiers and sailors. She says we've got to have a green land here for those boys in Iceland. Well, that's a very good idea. And I she think... says we have an ocean between us and Australia and an ocean between us and Europe. And if we have an ocean that we can just sit around doing nothing, we better get smart. <laughs> Your teacher is a very intelligent She says that an army travels on its stomach. And if we don't keep them full of fuel, we just don't know our groceries. Well, you're absolutely right, sis. Give me two bucks worth of seeds, and I'll get to work and tomorrow. And furthermore, mister, huh? my teacher says it's much better to get blisters on our hands than calluses on our hearts. And whether we're buying bonds or planting vegetables, there's only one thing we got to do, and that's dig, dig, dig.
straw have you? Are you getting it clean? No, it's not very clean anyway. Nothing I've tried seems to work. Look at it. What makes it so fuzzy? This brush is kind of rough on it, I guess. Where'd you get that brush? Well, it ain't exactly a brush. It's it's Lillian's curry comb. <laughs> now, McGee, you take that right back to the garage. I won't let anybody else use my brush and comb, and I'm sure Lillian would feel the same way about it. Why won't you let anybody else use your hairbrush? Well, I just don't like the idea, that's all. Don't hurt your hairbrush any just to clean a straw hat with it. Maybe it won't. <laughs> McGee. <laughs> did you use my hairbrush to scrub that awful old hat with? No, not very long. It was too soft and wasn't making any impression, so I just had to throw it away. Now, believe me, if we weren't going to have guests just at this minute, my fine amateur bonnet brusher, I'd... I'd what I'd... would you do? Well, nothing, probably. <laughs> I can buy another hairbrush, but amusing husbands are hard to get. <laughs> Come in. Hello there, kids. How are you fixed for Christmas cards? <laughs> Christmas cards? Aren't you jumping the gun a little, old-timer? It's eight months till next Christmas. I still got a dirty little deficit from the last one. <laughs> Johnny, let's talk this over man to man. You mean I'm not in on this discussion, huh? You stay right here, daughter. In selling Christmas cards, it's the women that have the say-so. I'm convinced of that. How long have you been selling them? Uh, you're my first customer, but I'm easy convinced. Now <laughs> <laughs> look at the first one of the book here. Happy, happy Yuletide from Canada to the Isthmus. Geography doesn't matter when we wish you Merry Christmas. <laughs> That one appeal to you? Now, please, Mr. Old Timer, how can you expect anybody to get hopped up about Christmas right after Easter? That reminds me. I got Easter greetings, too. Here's one that says, North or South, East or West, Easter with you is Easter at best. Only $2 a dozen engraved with your no, name. No, your no, home. no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't want any. Come back in six or seven months and we might talk business, old-timer. Uh, six or seven months, eh? Yeah. I see. That'll be November. Better buy your Thanksgiving cards now and save me a trip. Here's one but that says... we sa- don't want to. It says white meat, dark meat, all around the town. Hey. <laughs> hey? Close the sample book and lay off, will you, old-timer? We're not in the market. Why? It ain't like you, Johnny. You always was full of the holiday spirit. But if if that's how you feel about it... Why the idea of Christmas cards at this time of the year? <laughs> at least you didn't try to sell us any Father's Day's cards. Got them right here, Johnny, Father's Day. <laughs> Here's the Papa, bless his heart, bone fat, not so smart. We love him and we love no. him. Okay. <laughs> Hey, Molly, I wonder if I couldn't clean this hat with just plain soap and water. Shall I soak it? I would, right out the window. <laughs> oh, you're not any help. Now, let me see. What might do the job? Toothpaste? Lighter fluid? Ammonia? Grease. Grease? What kind? Elbow. It'll take more than that. <laughs> I'm all out of peroxide, and it's going to take some chemical that'll bleach it yellow again. Don't tell me that hat was yellow, McGee. Well, it was yellow. Do you mean to tell me that any hat that would wear a band with purple polka dots out in public is yellow? <laughs> Look, Molly, will you please take this thing serious? Here I'm trying to save myself some dough. Oh, hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Harlow. Come on in and... What's sniffing at? What's that odd smell? It's peroxide, Mr. Wilcox. McGee's been trying to bleach a straw hat. It's gone brunette on him. (laughs) Well, why don't you do what I did last year, Fibber? What was that? Well, I took my Panama out of the closet and wore it down to the office. 
I didn't notice how soiled it was until people began to comment. Oh, it must have been embarrassing. Oh, it was. There I was, dashing in and out of the office all day, dictating letters about how Johnson's glow coat was such a marvelous labor and time saver because it eliminates rubbing and buffing and dries in 20 minutes or less to a beautiful, lustrous finish. Yes, but how about the hat? What hat? Oh, oh, my Panama. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still hadn't noticed how bad it looked. And me so sensitive to dust and dirt, too, on account of selling Johnson's self-polishing glow coat so long. And glow coat being marvelous for soiled and dull linoleum. So when I finally got through with my work, which was mostly writing an advertisement about how glow coat preserves and protects your linoleum, and it's particularly important right now to conserve what you have. Yes, uh, but the hat, the hat. Uh, What do you mean? What did you do with your Panama hat? I sent it out and got it clean. (laughs) There's still a funny smell in here. That, Mr. Wilcox, is McGee burning. (laughs) You want me to take your hat down to the cleaners on my way, Fibber? No, thank you. (laughs) Okay, see you later. If that ain't what the... was the matter with that? Now, when things get soiled, the logical thing to do is to get them cleaned with most people. Uh, but with you, the most logical thing to do is something fantastic. Look, the people who clean hats are human beings. I'm a human being. So I can clean a hat, too. I'm a human being, too. And so are the people who go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. But do I go yachting in a hog's head, not in a pig's ear? <laughs> Come in. Oh, it's Mayor Latrivia. Come right in, Mr. Mayor. Good day, Mrs. McGee. Hello, McGee. Hi, Politico. Have a seat for your city call. <laughs> no, thank you. I merely wanted to ask you, McGee, if you would serve on a committee of which I happen to be chairman. Mr. Mayor, asking McGee to serve on a committee is like waving a blue rag at a bull. You mean red, Molly. <laughs> With a blue rag, nothing would happen. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> What is the uh, committee, Mr. Mayor? It's to organize our citizens to write more letters to their friends and relatives, sons and brothers and fathers in the Army and Navy, and give them more news from home. Why, sure, Latrivia. I'm your man. When do I start? Tomorrow morning. The committee meets in my office at the City Hall at 10.30. Well, you bet I'll be there, because it's a good cause, too. Indeed it is. I was a captain in the Army during the last war, and I know how it is to get a letter from home. Oh, so you were a captain in the Army. An Annapolis man? Annapolis is a Navy school, McGee. Uh, don't they have captains in the Navy? Of course, but I happen to be in the Army. What's the matter, not smart enough to get into Annapolis? <laughs> I didn't try to get into Annapolis. Why not? You might have graduated as a general. They don't graduate students from Annapolis as generals, Mrs. McGee, and they don't have generals in the Navy. I thought you said you were in the Army. I was in the Army. Well, then, uh, what made you think you could ever be a general in the Navy? <laughs> I didn't think I could be a general in the Navy, Mrs. McGee. That was your idea. Go on. She didn't even know you then. I didn't say she did. I merely said that the Army has nothing to do with Annapolis. Snobbish? Yes. No! Not at all. Annapolis is strictly a Navy school, and I, being in the Army, could not have got a commission there. What do you want a commission for? Couldn't you live on your salary? Yes, I could! I was merely trying to tell you that... McGee. Huh? Were you in the Army? Oh, indeed he was, Mr. Mayor. He was a private in the Engineer Corps. Do you still have that old Army spirit, McGee? You bet I do, Latrivia. Fine. I was a captain, and I do, too. Huh? 
days, Mr. Mayor. You marched him right through the bay window. Yes. Isn't that too bad? Well, good day, Mrs. McGee. The King's Man sing, Hey, Mabel. There's a girl who lives next door to me Who's got the fellas up, 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 up in a tree They all go for her in a great big way But she won't tumble down So here is what they say Hey, Mabel Hey, Mabel Hey, Mabel Mabel, hey! When she's walking down the street All the boys yell mighty sweet Hey, Mabel Wait for me Wait for me When she wears a diamond ring All the boys begin to sing looking and kind of streaked with pink and blue, so I tried diamond. Look. Oh, lovely. Uh-huh. <laughs> a robin's egg blue straw hat. How ducky. You think it looks too sissy to wear? Well, I think it'd be all right if you carried a cane. A cane? Me carry a cane? Well, if you wore that hat, you'd have to carry a cane. <laughs> or brass knuckles. Well, shucks. The men's fashion magazines all say... Oh, heavenly days. Hide that pastel atrocity, McGee. What for? I don't want anybody to think I'm the kind of a woman who has the kind of a husband who'd wear that kind of a hat. <laughs> oh, who cares? Come in. Ah, hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, Miss McGee. Hello, Mr. McGee. <laughs> Is that a new hat? It's not new, Mr. Wimpley. It's just died. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I didn't know. That's a new hat you got on, too, ain't it, Wimp? Yes, it is, Mr. McGee. Does it seem a bit wobbly over my ears? (laughs) Well, now that you speak of it, Mr. Wimpley, it does seem a little tippy on the temples. Yes, Sweetie Face bought it that way. (laughs) She didn't take me along when she got it, and the clerk told her she could get a big one for the same price as a small one. And she didn't want him to know she'd married a little shrimp like me. (laughs) Ah, 
she was just kidding, Wimp. <laughs> she was just pulling your leg. I know. Now, I wish she'd stop it. It keeps coming out of joint. <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Wimple, does Sweetie Face pick all your clothes? No, just my pockets. <laughs> I, I caught her at it last week, and it made me simply furious. Uh-oh. I hope you didn't do anything drastic, like sticking your tongue out at her. Oh, no. I just said, Sweetie Face, I said... If you don't stop treating me like this, I'm going to run away. Oh, good for you, Mr. Wimple. Was she impressed? Indeed she was, Mrs. McGee. Ever since then, she's been wrapping my lunch up in road mats. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd better be running along now. I've got to meet Sweetie Face at the Army Airport. Army Airport? What you going to do out there? Some officer promised to take her up in a blimp, and he said I could come along for ballast. Oh, <laughs> What's ballast? Oh, my gosh. Ballast. That's what they throw out if the balloon gets too heavy. Is it really? Sure. Oh, good. <laughs> I'll just fool them and not get back in again. <laughs> now how that little man can take that treatment day after day is beyond me, McGee. Well, they say you can get used to anything in time. Though after 30 years, I still squawk about those 47 pins in a new shirt. <laughs> if I had a new shirt. But what was... Hey, hey, what are you doing with my hat? Oh, I'm just tying a little green ribbon on it. Oh, but Molly, that... Wait a minute, is... McGee. Huh? Can't look any funnier than it does now. What do you mean? Now, where's that banana? Oh, there. And a what? bunch of grapes. Huh? Now for a veil and a feather. Oh, my <laughs> Now wait till I try it on. There, now, how's that? Oh, my gosh, that looks awful. You've got a lot of nerve kidding around with my straw hat after all the work I've been to. Take it off, Molly. Take it off. No, no. Let me wear it, McGee, just for a laugh. Come in. Take it off. Take it off. Oh, Mrs. Uppington. Hello, Abigail. <laughs> How do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee. Well, if it isn't 150 pounds of sugar. <laughs> May the 5th be good to you, Uppy. <laughs> You do say the oddest things, really. <laughs> you have such a gusty sense of humor. <laughs> you mean breezy, Abigail. Uh, is that the same as windy, Mrs. McGee? <laughs> Just about. Well, then that's what I mean. <laughs> oh, but I have the most wonderful news for you. You ain't moving out of town. Good heavens, no. Whatever gave you that idea, Mr. McGee? Oh, no, no. I just thought quick of what was the most wonderful McGee. thing. Huh? Oh. What's the happy tidings, Abigail? Well, I have just thought of the most marvelous idea to conserve paper. I've written the government all about it. Oh, good for you, Uppy. What's the issue with the tissue? <laughs> you asking your creditors not to send you any more bills? <laughs> You go again, Mr. McGee. Oh, Tell me, did you inherit your sense of humor from your grandfather? <laughs> what makes you think that, Abigail? His jokes are so old. <laughs> oh, but I must tell you, my dear, you know how important it is that we conserve paper. Sure, we know that, Abby. What about it? And you know that I was going to write a book about the history of Wistful Vistas? Yes, we know that. Well, I've decided not to write it. Isn't that wonderful? Think of the paper I'm saving. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I've been saving them a lot, a lot of rubber, too, by not making any mistakes when I write a letter. <laughs> I'd better explain that joke, Abigail. You see, he writes his letters in pencil. Oh, he does? Yeah, he always... Why, Abigail, what's the matter? Oh, my dear, I, I can't contain myself a moment longer. Where did you get that delightful hat? That hat? Why, that's just... McGee, 
You really like it, Abigail? Oh. It was designed especially for me. Oh, well, really, it, it's the most original and charming hat I've seen this spring. Oh, my dear, I will simply not sleep a wink till I find one exactly like it. Or better yet, I shall have one made. What? And I just have time to get to my milliner's. Oh, oh goodbye, Mrs. McGee. You hear that, Molly? I certainly did, McGee. Imagine her wanting one exactly like it. Well, I've been made a chump out of long enough. Come on, give me that hat. No. Huh? No. If Abigail Uppington thinks this hat is cute, I'm going to wear it. You're going to wear Okay. I'll see you later. Wait a minute, dearie. Where are you going? I'm going out and buy a felt hat. That was the last straw. <laughs> No time does a woman's role in life become more clear than when a country is at war and homes are threatened, because those homes are only as strong as the women who guide and keep them. Most of us men will admit openly or secretly that no job at any time is bigger or more important than home management, especially when budgets must be watched closely, when things must be conserved and made to last. You women really have several jobs rolled into one, feeding your families the right food, making and mending clothes for those young youngsters, and certainly not the least, keeping your house clean because dirt wears things out. Those are no loafing assignments. And now, on top of those jobs, you save kitchen fats and salvage scrap materials for war production. You study first aid and enlist as air raid wardens. Yes, you are the guardians of our homes. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Glow Coat salute you, the housekeepers and homemakers of America and Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, in just a moment we will hear the President of the United States from the White House in Washington. With all of us anxious to do everything we can, individually and collectively, to shoulder our share of the burdens of this war... We welcome this message from our Commander-in-Chief. We'll all be listening, Mr. President. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Escape, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.